I've kept a journal since the late 90s, um, but unfortunately many of them got lost when my desktop computer crashed. Uh, I have nothing before 2001, and then between 2005 and 2018, those are gone. So it's nice to have them to, every once in a while, look back and see what was happening. See what was happening in the, the church uh, where we served, uh, what was going on with our family, you know, ball games and concerts and all that sort of stuff, what the weather was. You know, I, I didn't at first, but later I started putting in the weather and gas prices. I'm glad I put gas prices in. It's been kind of sickening to look back right now and see what they were a year and two years ago. But, you know, I, I put in important events, uh, you know, things that were happening in the world. I'd always put in, you know, when it was Mother's Day and Thanksgiving and Memorial Day and, and like that so we could remember. Uh, and I would put in, you know, deaths and funerals and uh, special things that were happening at, in our churches. So it's interesting to see things that I'd forgotten all about. You know, now sometimes I have to look back at last week and see what happened. But we can learn a lot from our past. It, you know, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, now as we're reading through the Bible, my wife and I and others, right now we're in Numbers and Chronicles. And I can see that there's a, a lot of things that we didn't learn, okay, because we're making some of the same mistakes that were made thousands of years ago, like doing things without God's blessings, straying from the church, straying from God, uh, and just kind of acting ignorant overall. But we're blessed that we serve a forgiving God. If not, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that your word does um, point us in the right direction and it shows us mistakes that others had made that it would be nice if we learned from. And uh, Lord, your, your word was true when it was written and it's true today. Uh, the, the times are different, the situations are different, but Lord, we can find the answers for all of our situations in your word. So Lord, help us to learn. And Father, as we look at your word now, uh, help us to see what it is that you want us to get. Lord, just through your Holy Spirit, uh, open our minds, our hearts, and our ears, and we'll get your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, through the ringer. The idiom, through the ringer, refers to having been through a series of very difficult or unpleasant experiences. And this idiom came about in the early 20th century, so a little over 100 years ago, maybe. Well, we've all been there sometime, uh, maybe many times, and maybe you're there right now. You know, troubles in a relationship, uh, maybe money problems or loss of a job or a problem child or children, uh, sickness, you know, whatever it may be. And so you're just going through a really tough, tough time. Now, 
I remember 70 years now, 65 years ago probably, uh, my grandmother had this ringer washing machine out in the garage that she used. And, you know, if you use that as an analogy, you did not want to go through the ringer. Okay, I remember getting my, my finger stuck in there more than once. Okay, like I said, we don't learn from our past. But, you know, going through the ringer like that means that we're going through a tough, tough time. So I want to look at how sometimes Christians are put through the ringer. Now, most American Christians can only relate to this on a small scale. I know not all, but for the most part, we have it pretty easy. Okay, we're not persecuted for our beliefs, for the most part, anyways. We can attend worship whenever, wherever we want to. You know, we're not in fear of the police storming in or uh, soldiers coming in and dragging away the pastor and the organist or whatever. <clears throat> we may take some flack from family and friends and co-workers, but over time, that's going to subside. They're going to see that's who you really are. And the first ones that face persecution or the ones that face the persecution in the United States the most are those that leave their faith for Christianity. And, you know, Muslims comes to mind, first of all, uh, that, you know, if you leave the Muslim faith for Christianity, if you do it in the Middle East, you'd probably be dead. But in the United States, you certainly would be persecuted and forgotten about. Uh, I remember there was a time when uh, if you left the Baptist Church for the Catholic Church or the Catholic Church for the Lutheran Church or whatever, you would be facing persecution from your family. Uh, in the Amish community, uh, they have a period of time where their young people can decide if they want to remain in the Amish faith or not. Uh, and if they decide to not stay in the Amish faith, then, you know, their, their family isn't crazy about that, but you know, it's accepted. But if they say they want to stay, and then a few years later, they say, no, I guess I don't want to after all, then they're shunned. Okay, it's like you died. Okay. So, but I want us to look at others that are going through the ringer at some time. So let me give you a scripture to lead into this. Okay, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, in verse 4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, the God of this age. Satan. It was Satan then. It's Satan now. And it's going to be Satan for however long God decides. But in verse um starting in verse 7, says, so then Paul, he gives us his illustration. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. 
We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are who for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Okay, there's a lot to those verses. Okay, and it comes down from someone that knows what he's talking about, Paul. What makes him an authority on having gone through the ringer? In 2 Corinthians 11, it says he had been imprisoned. Now, we know that a lot of his letters that he wrote, he wrote from prison. He had been flogged five times. He had received 40 lashes minus one. Uh, three times he'd been beaten with rods. He'd been pelted with stones. Three times he was shipwrecked. It says he was in danger everywhere from everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. So Paul really knows what he's talking about on this topic. But what does the passage from 2 Corinthians 4 tell us? Well, it tells us that sometimes we're hard-pressed. We're troubled. We're suffering. We're kind of going through a, a tribulation period. But it tells us that we're not crushed. Okay, We're not distressed. We're not hemmed in. Okay, It tells us that we're perplexed. Okay, It looks like there's no way out. Okay, We just doubt that the situation we're in is ever going to end. It's ever going to get better. But we're not in despair. We're not at a loss. We're not despondent. It tells us that sometimes we're persecuted, okay, to the point where we feel faithless and fearful. But we're not in despair. We're not forsaken. We're not forgotten. And sometimes we're struck down. We've fallen down. We've been cast down. But we're not destroyed. We're not lost. We're not perishing. Okay, we have the resilience of Paul. I need to act like it sometimes. We all do. I know sometimes I feel like I've fallen down, like I'm troubled, like I'm in doubt about my future, and I become fearful. And Paul reminds me that I don't have to live that way, that it is a choice. Paul gives us some great words to remember in Galatians chapter 2.20. Says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Easy words to read or sing. There's more than one song been written uh, based on that passage, but it's really, really difficult to live it out. Okay. Because when I look at that verse, it reminds me that I should be living differently than I do at times. You know those times. Times when you get angry. You know, you maybe get angry at your spouse or your children or your parents. You get angry at your boss or your teacher. You get angry at your neighbor. Or the times of jealousy. You know, your, your friend comes to, to school, you know, he's got those $200 sneakers on. Or, you know, you see 
your neighbor has a, the truck out front bringing in all new appliances, or you get greedy and you think nothing or think about only yourself and nothing about anyone else. Okay, you're looking at your bank account all the time, looking at your stocks to see how well you're doing. Or sometimes we find ourselves being uh, brought down with pride. You know, look at me. You know, look at my position in this company. Look at my home. Look at my family. Look at my car, my truck, and my boat, and my motorcycle, and and all. And so, you know, no one's perfect except our Savior. So Paul knew what it was like to go through the ringer. Now I'll look at some others that went through the ringer. I'm going to look in the Old Testament. So let's start with the boy wonder, David. Okay, 1 Samuel 16, 1. The Lord had said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul that I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel didn't want to go, okay? And he had good reason to not want to go because he knew that if Saul found out about it, he was a dead man. But God said go, so he went. And he was going to go there to make a sacrifice and to invite Jesse and his sons to join him. He thought that'd be a good way to be able to find out which one of these young men is going to be the next king. So verses 6 through 10, Samuel's getting shot down on each one of the sons. Okay, the first one, Eliab, comes up and he says, oh man, it's got to be him. Look how big and strong and handsome he is. Yeah, it's got to be him. God said, nope, not him. And the next one comes, nope, not him. Next one, nah, I don't like him either. So Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit until he arrives. Okay, so what this tells me is David was not very important to his father. Okay, because Samuel said, I want all your sons here. And so he brought all the sons except David. So David didn't mean an awful lot to him or to his brothers, as we'll see in the next chapter. Chapter 17, the David and Goliath chapter. Three of David's brothers were soldiers for Saul. And things were kind of at a standstill in the battle because the Philistines were on one mountain and the Israelites were on another. And down in the valley every day, this Goliath guy would come out and say, hey, send out one of your men. If I win, you'll be my slaves. If you win, we'll be your slaves. And nobody wanted to go out and fight Goliath. So things weren't moving very fast. So in verses 19, or excuse me, 17 to 19, Jesse's sending David out to the battlefield to take food for his brothers and something special for the commander. Uh, David arrives and he's talking with some of the soldiers and asking them, you know, what's the problem? Well, in verse 28, it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked, why have you come out here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? 
I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. I know how David felt. Okay, my brother was eight years older than me, and he really wanted nothing to do with me. Okay, he couldn't care less about me. And that's probably the way that David felt as well. Well, this was not the biggest of David's problems. Okay, King Saul had taken a liking to him for a while. Then he became jealous of David. In 1 Samuel 18, it tells us that David was successful in all of his battles. Verses 16, or excuse me, 6 to 8, it says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. So how did he handle this problem? Did he sit down with David and talk about this? Did he, you know, get mad at the ladies that were singing? You know, did he try and work it out and say, well, you know, they just don't know what they're talking about? Well, in 1 Samuel, we find a continuing story of what happened in chapters 19 to 23. 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 and 2 says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. So throughout these chapters, we find David being put through the ringer time after time. But finally, Paul is killed and David becomes king. And they all live happily ever after. Not so fast. Okay, David's problems are not over, and they get even closer. Second Samuel 15 to 19, we see David having another problem. In verse 16, chapter, chapter 16, verse 11, it says, David said, said to Abishai and all of his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood, is trying to kill me. Now, David's son, Absalom, wanted David's throne. And it wouldn't bother him at all to kill his father in order to get it. Okay, just imagine the conversations around the table at Thanksgiving with that kind of a relationship. Okay, now Absalom, he had quite a following. Okay, there was a lot of people that were ready to help him succeed in this. Even so, David did not want Absalom killed and told his men to protect him. Okay, and when Absalom was killed, David mourned uh, like he was his favorite son. Okay, so David knew what it was like to go through the ringer. I want to look at a man that had a good life and a hard life, and a good life and a hard life, and a good life. Joseph. Joseph was daddy's favorite. Okay, Genesis 37.3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Okay, the coat of many colors we're familiar with. 
So he was having a good life. Okay, now, have you ever been there? Not as Joseph, but as the others? Okay, the one or both parents seem that they like your siblings more than they like you? Well, I won't go there. Okay, but the brothers, okay, they've had enough of Joseph. They want to get rid of this guy. And so they think they've come up with a plan. Okay, first they were going to kill him, and then they said, no, let's not kill him. We'll just throw him in the cistern. And, you know, there wasn't any water in there, but eventually he'd just die. So in uh, Genesis 37, 28, it says, So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So they were rid of Joseph. And they got about six bucks at today's rate. So Joseph was certainly entering into a hard life. Then Joseph was taken from the prison to be in Potiphar's house. Okay, so he had the good life, especially compared to prison. Well, it was a good life until Potiphar's wife took a liking to him, and not in a good way. Okay, she wanted Joseph to go to bed with her and kept trying to entice him, kept trying to force him. And so finally, she said, well, he tried to rape me. And so Joseph ended up in prison having a hard life. Well, Joseph was taken out of prison and interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and he was made the number two man in Egypt. He had a good, good life. So Joseph had been through the ringer on more than one occasion. So let's take a look at the New Testament again. And this time I want to look at another Joseph. Okay, he found himself in quite an unusual situation. Matthew 1.18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. <laughs> what could he do? I mean, what should he do? Well, in verse 19, it says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay, so he had a choice. Am I going to be Mr. Nice Guy and just kind of get myself out of this and let Mary go on her way and have her baby wherever? <clears throat> or do I let her be stoned to death? Or do I marry her? Well, in verses 20 and 21, it says an angel visits Joseph in a dream and lets him know the truth. And so Joseph makes the right call. But this isn't all. Okay, in uh, Matthew 2, 13 to 15, okay, again, the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, told him to take Mary and the baby Jesus and to move to Egypt until he's told it's okay to return. So he packs up the family and heads to Egypt for an unknown amount of time in a foreign country where he knows no one. But Joseph, he wasn't done going through the ringer. Again, okay, verses 19 and 20 says, 
That angel showed up again in Joseph's dream to let him know that Herod was dead. And he said, take the family and go back to Israel. Joseph, <laughs> he did not know what he had gotten himself into. Well, no one went through the ringer more than Jesus Christ. He was called a liar. He was called a glutton and a drunkard, a blasphemer. In Mark 3.22, says the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Jesus was spit on. He was denied by a close friend. He was punched, whipped, betrayed by a friend, humiliated, nailed to a cross. He was made fun of. Joseph went through the ringer, or excuse me, Jesus went through the ringer over and over again. All three years of his ministry, he was being put through the ringer. The one thing that may have hurt Jesus the most, at least in my mind, is in Mark 3, verses 20 and 21. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again he, a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. They didn't just not believe him. They thought he was crazy. And they told other people that. You know, most of us have had some hurtful things said about us. But as for myself, I don't think I've ever been told that I was crazy. I maybe could have been, but I don't remember that happening. So Joseph, Jesus was going through the ringer again. Why? John 15, verses 13 and 14. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Joseph Scriven wrote a poem in 1855, which became a hymn about 12 or so years later. Why did he write this? Well, shortly after he graduated from university, he was to be getting married and he was on his way home for the wedding and he found his fiance face down in a stream and she had drowned. Apparently she hit her head when she was thrown from her horse. Well, as time went by, he got engaged again. And shortly before the wedding, she got sick and died. Instead of thinking that God was punishing him, Scriven cherished God's friendship through all of his hardship, a friendship that he discovered in prayer. Let me share a familiar song with you. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. <clears throat> what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 
Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. Good song to remember when we've been through the ringer or when we're going through the ringer. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for your word and how meaningful it is even today, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later. Father, help us to, to lean on that word and to know that Jesus is our friend and to know that we can take everything to you in prayer. That you know, there's nothing that you don't want to hear about from us. There's nothing that we're going through that you think is uh, beyond you, that's too big, or there's nothing that you know is too minute and you're just not interested. So Lord, like the song said, take it all to the Lord in prayer. And Father, I know that some of my brothers and sisters know that, and some of them do it. But some of us don't. We look at prayer as, you know, a last resort. You know, I've tried everything, and so now I guess I can pray about it. When it should be, when we see the situation, we see the need, when we're going through the ringer, we should say, okay, Lord, I know I'm not alone. How are we going to get through this? But Lord, I know there may be someone that's listening that it doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you. And so, Father, I put them in your hands and just pray that, Lord, something in this message put a burden on them, uh, that maybe they're going through the ringer right now. And, Lord, they don't know where to reach out for help, that family and friends uh, can't help them or don't want to help them, and, and they have a need that's greater than themselves. But, Lord, that need is not greater than you. So let them know that they need to surrender their life to you and that, Lord, you will help them get through whatever it is they're going through. Father, let them know that they need to pray, that, pray this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Your Son, Jesus, is the only Savior. He is the only way to spend eternity with you. Father, forgive all my sins and help me to live better and to love better. And Lord, to accept your Holy Spirit in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.